0: Welcome to the Grace Story Podcast, where inspiring stories are brought to life. This podcast is made possible by Grace College and Seminary, located on the shores of Winona Lake in the great state of Indiana. I'm your host, Dr. Drew Flam. This is the Grace Story Podcast. Today our guest on the podcast is Barb Wooler. Barb is a 1982 Grace alum and a career missionary. She served in the Central African Republic, where she led a ministry among the young people of the cities and villages to train workers to work with the Pygmy people. She is currently the first director of Crisis Response, developing and implementing this aspect of Encompass World Partners ministry worldwide to those in need after crisis. She also writes about suffering and the human experience from a unique perspective shaped by a lifelong love for God's word and because she spent most of her life straddling two very diverse worlds, that of the Central African Republic and the U.S. She recently authored a devotional book, 30 Days to a More Resilient Faith. Barb, welcome to the podcast.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm glad you're able to join us, and I'd like to start by taking you back to those days at Grace College. and You were a transfer student, yes. if I remember correctly. Yes. <clears throat> Um, did you know, even at that time, that God was calling you into full-time ministry, into missionary work? How, how did that heart for missions develop?
1: Well, um, yeah, I transferred from another Christian uh, university, and while I was there during my freshman year, at the actually it was in April, um, I I heard a missionary present about her ministry and honestly i don't know where she served what she said Hmm. what kind of ministry she did i don't remember what she looked i don't remember anything about her except that i i left that um session feeling like Wow, that'd be a great way to spend your life. Because yeah. uh, that was actually something that was really a burden that I felt at that time when I was a senior in high school and then on to my freshman year of, of college. It's like I really wanted to use my life in a way that made a difference, and and I didn't know what that was going to look like. So uh, God used her. I, I've often thought I can't wait to get to heaven and meet her and, mm. and tell her how God used her, whatever she said, or find out what she even did as a as a missionary. Um, so by the time, okay, so I went to my sophomore year and, and God just propelled me out of that school, that university that I loved so much. And I, I came to grace. I, I really felt like, um, I, like I was leaving the best university and I was going to hurt myself, but I had to leave. I just, I, I won't go into what that was all about, but God, Pulled me to Grace, and within a month, I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is a great place!" And it was not a step backward in terms of my education, and it's and it was not a back a step backward in terms of my um, being trained in the Word and and um, exposed to missionaries and things like that. Uh, In fact, my first impression when I came here, my first impression was, "Dang, it's cold here." (laughs) I was at I was at Grace uh, at the. Alpha dorm. Yes. Okay, yep. Uh-huh. Pit Pit West.
0: Oh. Okay, so I'm at my That's other a school great and I'm thing like for to the name of a dorm exactly. Pit. Exactly. I was right? like, yeah, that I'm, makes it real I'm leaving attractive. this yeah. school and
1: I'm going up to this place in Indiana and I'd never been in Indiana before. And uh, going to this place I'm gonna be my dorm is going to be Pit West. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh but at my first impression here after getting adjusted to the cold is it it was amazing. I mean, in terms of my major, which at that time I was physical education, um, I decided not to change my major because I thought, you know, education is awesome, and sure. anything I do, I'm going to be teaching people. So, I stayed in, in with physical education. Um, but the in terms of my major, Grace was it was better than the place that I had left, mm. and um, and then in terms of like missions. Um, exposure to great missionaries. Uh, they had, at that time they were having, I think, Bible conference in the fall and missions in the spring, or vice mm-hmm. versa, one or the other. So I mean, I remember great speakers coming to Grace. I'm like, I can't believe I believe Chuck Swindoll was here, uh-huh. uh, John MacArthur. I mean, it was it was awesome. So Grace College was was really important in my upbringing and, and my education, my training. When I ended up going to the field, um, the God, the Lord— And how s-
0: soon after graduation did you go to the, the um, field?
1: Well, when I graduated, I was pretty sure I was going to you know, be a missionary, okay. uh, but I had to pay my school do- uh, yes. loans off. So that took me a couple years, and then I left in 1985. So, um, yeah, it was— uh, so it was, it was just um, a fantastic uh, training at Grace, and um, then moving on to the mission field and doing a large diversity of of kinds of ministries, which some of you you've spoken about. Um, I got such great training. Even even my physical education training, the the courses I was taking, thinking would not be helpful for me, kinesiology, <laughs> the first aid stuff. Um, all the stuff having to do with health and and physical fitness and things like that—they actually ended up being really important because the Lord sent me to an unreached people group in the rainforest, um, the Biaka Pygmy people, hmm. and um, you know initially they were coming to me and asking me about their health needs. It's like, look, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so I wouldn't do anything. Then I saw what they were doing to themselves. Like, yeah, I can do better than that. So, uh, with my training um, from Grace College and a book that I never went to the forest without, my book called "Where There Is No Doctor," hmm. we were able to do actually a lot of really. Um, I say I hate to say it that way. The Lord did amazing healing uh, through you know through that book and yeah. Stuff so like y- that.
0: you you went to the. Say that again, the Bayaka? Bayaka,
1: Pygmy People. Okay,
0: yeah. in the Central African Republic, which, um, you know, the Grace Brethren had some work going on there, but mm-hmm. you went to an an unreached people group. Um, was it a team that went, like, tell us how how you, you know, you go from the the world of opportunities, <sighs> right. literally, when you're thinking missions, to, you know, CAR, to the jungles and the Biaka pygmy people, how does it get focused in on like on yeah. that? And then what are those first steps towards going to an unreached people group?
1: Okay. Well, don't let me get bogged down in any details. Okay. So people just love the details. Give... <laughs> I love the details. <laughs> so, uh, in 1984, I was almost done paying off my school debt and, um, uh, came out here to grace, um, to see a friend who was still in school. So while we were here, um, what was then Grace Brethren International Missions and now Encompass World Partners, they had a missions event or something like that. So I attended it, and there was a missionary named Marvin Goodman um, that many people know. He's with the Lord now, passed away about five years ago. But uh, a very tall man with this big lion voice, big voice, and uh, he was presenting, among others, and he said he told of his experience of going into the rainforest, and he broke down, and this car broke down, and he had to stay with pygmies for th- for three days, which is hilarious because the guy is 6'4", and, you know, big, big man. Um, but he came out of the forest with this huge burden for the Bayaka pygmy people. So he starts talking about that, and it's like, I wanted to do— Bible translation among an unreached people group. And I was planning to go with Wycliffe, Hmm. Bible translators. And um, when he talked about that, I was like, why wouldn't I just do that? Why wouldn't I just go with with my own denomination? And uh, so I was like, yeah, I'll do that. Um, so, uh, that started anyway. It's kind of, there's a lot of stuff in there, obviously. I'm not telling you, but <laughs> because you're not interested, but, um, the Lord opened the way for me to, um, go to the Baok Pygmy people, um, Uh, initially the board of uh, Encompass said, I can't go because I'm by myself and I need partners. And so it's like, all right, well, I'll just do the next thing. The next thing for me was youth work. So I started working with young people. And it occurred to me as one time I was actually teaching a Bible study. I had written something up on the board and young people were taking notes in their notebooks. And and I'm looking over, I'm like, are you kidding me? This room is full of coworkers, potential coworkers. So um I just said, Hey, if any of you are interested in joining with me and doing a um ministry team young, you know, to youth, just you know, come to my house on Friday, September eighth, and at three o'clock. And so on Friday, eight people showed up, which is perfect because there's room for nine in a truck. Mm-hmm. So uh, we ended up making a, a team called Friends of the Gospel, Les Compagnons de l'Évangile, and um, we started working in in the city, but every month we would go down into, make into the forest area, and so... Um, Long story short, through those young people, I was able to get to know people in the Pygmy region, and um, I joined with them. And I mean, I never went anywhere by myself. People are like, "Oh, I can just imagine you all by yourself <laughs> going into the forest." And what did the Pygmies think when they first saw you? It's it wasn't like that. I mean, it was always with people who uh-huh. the Pygmies knew until I became the ones that they knew, the one that they knew. So, um, yeah, that's how it just kind of happened one step uh, after the other, and the Lord sent me to these beautiful people in the rainforest, these people who I often say I feel sorry for them that God sent me me because somebody else could have done so much better. But God did send me them, and and I loved them, and um, it was an incredible privilege to live with them and be the one to be able to to teach them the gospel starting with genesis all the way through to the ascension of christ i mean teaching people who who don't know any of the stories they don't know any of them hmm. and you're telling them about noah and the flood and um this the one story that they were like "Yeah, i I'm, come on madamana, really that can't be true it's the story of the um tower of babel it's teaching about the tower of babel and the, so uh I'm like that tower was so tall. You see that tree over there and they have really tall trees in the forest. See that tree over there? It was like f- way more than five times bigger and that's like yeah, right. <laughs> 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 but it was just a privilege uh to to get to to love them and be part of their community and uh see them grow in the Lord and now there's a church there and I'm how, here and they're there.
0: How uh, how long did you live with The pygmy people.
1: It's it's a little bit of a tricky answer because you could only work with them during dry season. So each year, six months. And so I was living in the ring in in the Central African Republic for ten years, and then each year I'd go down there during dry season.
0: Okay, and and tell me, I want to get into your gospel presentation, but tell me a little bit, just like accommodations. I mean, where'd you live? and yeah. what, what, did, what did your accommodations look
1: like? Well, first of all, I lived in CAR for 10 years. After that, I ended up coming back to the States to work with my organization mm-hmm. here for six months and then go back there for six months. During so Pygmies didn't yeah. know where I went. So um, my accommodations, um, I each year I would buy a new tent. And it was a tent that you could stand up in. And I would live in the tent and the tropical... Uh, sun the sun would just tear it to shreds so it was just worthless by the end of the six months so um yeah so I I uh, lived in a tent and very primitively I mean really it is truly in in the rainforest no electricity just batteries and water I would bring in um in a 55 gallon drum so um yeah those were my accommodations I would take food back with me um but the pygmies were—they were so happy. See, the thing you have to understand about the pygmies is um, they are a slave class, and they are considered by central, many Central Africans as— I mean, people are not even sure in the Central African Republic if pygmies are really people.
0: Hmm. Maybe
1: they're just animals. So it's that kind of oppressed people. So when I came back and they were my full focus and they were my love, um, that, that was, to them, it was, I mean, this has never happened before. So they really treated me really well. And they, initially they were bringing me food, which was, by and large, it was awesome, by and large. Uh, but there are some interesting local delicacies that <laughs> I learned to appreciate to an extent.
0: So. What was your favorite um, interesting local delicacy?
1: Oh, uh, well, there's two. The one, um, Chris, I went in the beginning of dry season, and that's when the the um, grass is seeding and falling over. So there's a they got trapping, and they get this animal, and they were bringing me this stew. So they bring me this stew. I was like, this is really delicious. It really was. I said, wow, this is really good. What do you call this? And they said, zozo in their language and well zozo and for me didn't mean anything i knew in sango but i didn't know in their language so uh then they bring it another time and say, this is great is this that zozo stuff and you see yeah this is zozo so um after about two weeks i was sitting with my grandma in the forest and mama got got and, and her husband comes into the clearing and he has Like, he'd been out trapping, catching, and he he had these huge, huge rats that tied, you know, the tails were tied and hanging over his shoulders. And I said, Mama, God, look at Kolitimo look at what your husband just caught. What do you call them? She said, Zozo. Okay, (laughs) I've been eating rat stew. (laughs) But it actually is quite good. It's more like, it's not like rat, like we think of it. It's more like... um groundhog or something like that wow (laughs) so that was good and the other one was now i i do not like fish and so i was delighted that god sent me to the african rainforest where there aren't seas and oceans uh but by golly one time they came with a bowl full of these tiny little catfish and so it's like, ah, okay, I guess I got to eat this. So the thing I don't like about fish is you get bones stuck in your throat. Mm-hmm. So up until then, that had never happened. So I, I was eating It's like, dang on oh, and I got a bone stuck right in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fortunately, they only brought that a couple of times. But uh, yeah.
0: Zozo. All mm-hmm. right. So if you ever put Zozo on the uh, invitation when I come over, I'll, I'll know. What right, that is. Yeah, right. Barbecued um, Zozo. One of the things you're known for is, um, walk through the Bible and you talked about it, the Bible stories, but you know, you, it's, it's an unreached people group. You just can't go in and, uh, you have to figure out a way to explain the gospel. And so you, you sort of invented, um, a way to do that. Tell tell us a little bit about the way you were able to communicate the story of the Bible.
1: Right. And, you know, it really is important that people understand how to read they know how to read because God revealed himself in in the word the written word but even people who know how to read they are still primary oral learners and then there's other people who are older, and they're never going to learn to read. And even if they do know, they always default to the or- orality. So um, we came up with hand motions for each of the—it's it's kind of a walk through the Bible thing. I wish I had taken walk through the Bible, because I'm sure it would have been better than what we came up with. But we came up with hand motions for each of the primary, the major um, events of the, the Scriptures, um, you know, like creation, fall into sin— the big flood you know things like that and maybe i just did i don't know what walk through the bible is because i didn't i didn't take it but those that's that's what we did and um and so that was a really important part because that provides hooks for for people Mm -hmm. to, to hang you know their their understanding of the scripture on and because the story of the gospel is chronological you know it starts with creation and or at least yeah so um Yeah, it provides a way to help them grasp the full study, the the full story, redemptive story of the Bible. Hmm.
0: Uh, After you were there um, for many years, then even going back and forth, um, war affected your ability to. So tell us a little bit about that transition time of war and um, you being in the middle of it and, and having to make eventually the the decision, um, at least not to live there, and, and how that affected you. And, and then I, I'm interested to just know a little bit about, like, why war? Why, why is war so prevalent and lasting for decades right. in the CAR?
1: Well, um, I'll just say when I went to the Central African Republic in 1987, our country was called the Pearl of Africa, and it was the, the island of, of, uh, of peace in mm. a very tumultuous area. Um, the reason it's tumultuous, the whys of war, um, I found out like eight years ago, I was in Bangui and I was invited to the ambassador's house for, uh, Thanksgiving. He had, um, the ambassador from, from Congo there and that Congo region. Well, Congo is continual war, even worse than our country. And so I said to her, um, do you think there'll ever be peace in Congo? And she said, let me tell you what what the, we what we say about Congo. She says, um, when God created the earth, he saw Saudi Arabia and he gave um, Saudi Arabia the gift of oil. And he saw this country and gave them the gift of that. In this area of the world got the gift of that. Then when he got to Congo, he, he took looked in his bag, he says, eh, and dumped it all out. Hmm. And she said, that's why there will never be peace in this region, because there's just too many riches for people to fight over. And that was sobering. Um, As poor as my country is, the Central African Republic, they are incredibly wealthy in natural resources, just in um, diamonds and gold and minerals that are used for computer chips and things like that. Um, That's a good part of why um, wars come. Mm. So, in 1996 and 97, there was a bad war. In 2002, a devastating war. Every time there's war, it just sets the country back decades. And then the worst one came in um, December 7th, 2013. I was there in Bangi, and we just woke up to bombs going off in the city, mm. and you just see that it was very, yeah, very complex. Um, but, yeah, the, the war just set us back in, by decades, and, and now the, it continues. You know, Bangi is kind of stable, but to leave the city is risky. And I, mean, I just think about what I used to do when I first went there. I'd get in a truck, and I'd drive three hours up to Yaluki to a conference. I'd come back the same night, you know, arrive home at midnight. You would never do that now. Hmm. So it's um, it's it's really— Bad in the Central Atlantic Republic, and it's really hurt. It's hurt the country. Uh, maybe it's helped the church. I don't know. Um, yeah,
0: well, and, you know, that's one of the things. You know, being at Grace College, we hear about the CAR quite often, and and the fact that they have more churches, Grace Brethren churches, Caris Fellowship churches, than than we than there are in the United States,
1: like by a factor of many.
0: That's amazing. A
1: factor of a hundred. No. Factor of ten at least, wow. Yeah.
0: So I mean, why the proliferation of churches, and then why has war potentially, at least, you know, allowed for the spread of the gospel?
1: Right. In some ways, it really does damage. Um, When in Acts nine, when it talks about Paul, um, he was destroying the church. Um, Saul was was destroying the church. It says. So it really does do damage in in many ways, um, you know. When I think of all the material supplied, that was you know charts and literacy stuff mm-hmm. and other things that that are destroyed, and and people lose so much. I mean, they have so little anyway, and then they what they have, they end up losing. So it's very disastrous in that way. Um, but it has a way of purifying. I mean, you know, First Peter one six and seven the trial of your faith you know is it, it purifies and strengthens you and makes you more resilient and so um, I was just actually two days ago with uh, two leaders of the Central African Republic and they said the churches are full hmm. and that's that's great because it, um, churches I mean they were they've always been, Way more than us. That that and it is a hundred times. I had to do the math there. They have a hundred times more churches than, than we do in in, in north in North America. Um, Which but, is
0: what I mean. We have say two hundred ish. Okay, I'm, or, I'm being
1: generous. I'm saying almost three hundred in North America. So
0: three thousand. Three hundred
1: thousand. Wow. Wait, wait. wait. Hold on, no, thirty. But the number of people is 300, 370,000 people wow. that attend these churches. So it's a lot of people. Wow, it's the largest Protestant um, uh, church or ca- Christian church in denomination in, in the Central African okay. Republic. Yeah, but yeah, it's 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 disastrous. But in other ways, it winnows out those who are coming to show off your, their clothes or yeah, you know, I don't know. It's just it's had a a positive effect I guess in some ways but having said that we want better for them
0: sure <laughs>
1: uh, yeah
0: when when life is hard you're you're grasping for security
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that can be found in in Christ
1: right and right. yet of
0: course still you want better for the for the people right um and for the country as right. a whole um m- more recently you've been serving at Encompass in a new role um director of crisis response um what is that role and and sort of how did your your life in the car prepare you for that role
1: well um that awful war that started in december 13 um, was uh my first project because uh six months later people had no food 60-75% of the population of the Central African Republic are farmers. They do agriculture. Mm. And um, it was very dangerous to go out in the fields. I mean, literally they'd be working out in the fields and rebels would come by, see them, and just start picking them off with their guns. So it was a really um, had a way of tampering down the desire to get out into the fields. And so um, in 2014 then I was um, asked by my agency, by Encompass World Partners, to um, do a project to raise food, seed, and farming implements for the people in the Central African Republic. And it was amazing. Over $700,000 were raised and sent over to the CAR, which we gave to the church there, and then they distributed it through their churches. And in that way, it um, strengthened the testimony of the church in communities and strengthened their ability then to to share the gospel. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the core of you ask what we're doing in crisis response. It's it's basically that um, we believe that only the church can provide care for the whole person, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And of course, many agencies can care for physical needs, and some can care for emotional needs, but no one wants to deal with spiritual needs. And we all know that that's at the core of restoring people um, emotionally and, and in other ways as well. So we um, encompass crisis response. We seek to come alongside the church and put stuff in their hands hmm. um, and train them. I'm going to the Bahamas um, the first week of November to train the workers in the Caris Church there to be able to mitigate trauma because people are coming out of really bad areas uh, to Nassau, where, where our churches are. Nastal was not hit bad, hmm. and so we're receiving uh, people. They're living there. They're um, being fed there, and um, but they're they have terrible trauma. And so, um, trying to train the local church to to mitigate trauma because we come in and we go out. Our teams come in, our teams leave, but the church stays there long term. And um, yeah, so that's in a nutshell what we're trying to do in crisis response. Hmm.
0: So your your ministry has you know gone from a very specific group of people to you know a broader group of those in crisis, and then and then even expanded through your writing to really all of us um, who in some way shape or form go through suffering. Yeah. Um, and and that's been the uh, what what you've written about and um, answering some of those tough questions which I'm going to pose ah. to you. <laughs> oh, no. No, but I mean, yeah. you know, we, as people of faith, we all go through, I mean, you know, no, we can't compare our suffering necessarily to, you know, needing food in in the midst of starvation or needing shelter in the midst of losing our home. But we go through um, periods of crisis um, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and, um, you know, why? Why do? Why does God allow bad things to happen? And and what is what is the good of that?
1: Right. Well, how much time? We <laughs> um, in a nutshell, this was not the world God created. He created a perfect world where there wasn't the pain and the suffering and the horrible things that we experience and the trauma that that wasn't part of the world that God created. Um, it became our planet became broken because of our sin of you know what Adam and Eve um did in in striking out on their own basically and defying what God said um I drew I'm I, I wish that I could that you could be on the side of being able to share recent revelations or things that God has shared with you but you've asked me and so. Just in the last month or so, I've just been so impressed by um, the centrality of um, dependence on God to holiness. And without a a strong sense of dependency on God, we will never be holy. And we are to be holy as God is holy. And through the things that we suffer, um, among the the things that happen, the the way that we're purified is we just all that cockiness and self reliance kind of goes away, evaporates. I mean, I hope it does anyway, and and we realize our need for God for our next breath, for our next day, and it's it's sad that it takes suffering and pain to bring us to that point, and so God, in His love and mercy and grace, He allows us to go through hard things, things that, I mean, you know, he allows these things. He doesn't necessarily do them, and some of them are awful. They're evil. He hates them. But in the process of all of that, of living on this broken planet, God is is drawing us to him and purifying our faith um, and enhancing our sense of dependency on God. And I think that's a lot of what's happening. So the 30-day devotional, 30 Days to a More Resilient Faith, it's all about presenting, really, just that in a nutshell. It's uh, 30 short devotionals um, that are teaching a th- biblical theology of suffering, something that I really think is drastically in need in these days in this church, in the, in the church. Um, somehow, even though we, know, we all know we live on a broken planet and we know things are messed up, but somehow we're always surprised— when bad things happen, and wondering, you know, if God loves us, why do we suffer? Um, and and so I think a, th- a biblical theology of suffering is really important for the church mm. and uh, to build resiliency, and that was the goal of the 30-day devotional. Um, part one I wrote, which is the 30 devotionals, um, 500, 500 words, I think. And then the second part, Wayne Hanna, I don't know if you know Wayne. Mm-hmm. Yep. I I asked him to present his story because he's lived through, um, since his 20s, and he's now, you know, he's retired now. Uh, He's lived with severe Crohn's disease, and it has, it's complicated every day of his life. And um, so he talks about, it kind of wraps muscle and flesh and bones around theology. Mm. Um, So that's, yeah, we co-authored the book.
0: I've recently been reading the Beatitudes and, you know, the mm. first one, right? Like right. Like the Jesus first sermon, the first words of his first sermon are
1: blessed, blessed are, are the poor in spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: he's talking to a bunch of people who are the outcast, sick,
1: mm-hmm. hungry,
0: dispossessed, right? and um, telling them, hey, you're in a really good spot because mm. you're, you're at like the perfect spot to receive the kingdom of God if you're willing to humble yourself and recognize your need for right. God
1: right. um you want to co-author a book with me Let's yeah. <laughs> do the next one that's you have good. now
0: exhausted the extent of my um <laughs> understanding of the theology of suffering but you know it's that is that's hard for I mean you you uh you have seen war you have seen poverty um who's it harder for those who are suffering and in poverty or us westerners who have it pretty good.
1: Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> you've probably heard of uh, Voice of the Martyrs. Mm-hmm. It was founded by a man named um, Richard Warmbrand. And uh, he wrote a book called Tortured for Christ, which everybody in this— mm-hmm. if you grew up in the 70s and 80s, you, well, 60s and 70s, you probably read that book. He said, after spending time—he he was years in prison, and then he got out and— um, Started this ministry and came to the United States of America many times. Um, after being here for a little bit, he said, "People in the West have the hardest form of persecution because of the abundance that you have. You're um, you're not tried. You're anyway the the abundance that we enjoy here in the West and ease of living." relatively speaking it's uh it's beguiling and it can really work against us in our pursuit of of christ and and holiness so yeah uh, um it's
0: easier for a camel to get through that little right yeah end of a pin than it is sometimes for us who are healthy to wealthy have so and have so much so hard question um and uh i I've, I've wondered I had I had a friend once who um would pray for suffering because mm-hmm. suffering brought this recognition of the need um, for Jesus. I've never been there um that's not something I have done or desired, but there is this like juxtaposition of like suffering helps us recognize our need and yet, Typically, we try to avoid suffering and help others avoid suffering. Well, there's almost a tension there in a way. How do how do you think about that?
1: <clears throat> well, I don't know your friend. It'd be great to talk with him or her because um, uh, I I appreciate where they're coming from. Where they're coming from is one Peter one six and all the other passages about you know the groaning and Romans eight and longing to be delivered and, um, and that hypersense of dependency on God can come more easily when you're suffering and things like that. Um, I'm not the shepherd of my soul. I'm not the shepherd of my path. Um, if when the Lord, the Lord loves us so much and he will allow just the right suffering at just the right time for just amount, you know, that we can take, the measures in which we can take. Um, I'm just going to leave that to the Lord. I'm not going to ask for suffering; it comes anyway. So um, I think that. But but at the at the core of that is is the idea that you know when we're weak, then we're strong. I don't think Paul asked for the thorn in the flesh. I think he asked asks that it would be removed three times. Um, um, but having said that, the benefits that he. Um, that came to him because of his increased sense of dependence on God, um, that that was well worth it. So I, I, and you can probably relate to this too, but I've gone through really hard times and then you come out of them um, and it's over and, and there's a sense sometimes where I've heard other people say this as well, where you're like, I don't want the pain, but man, I was like so, conscious of my need for god and i was just being held and carried i had that sense of awareness Mm -hmm. more so we can i can pine for that maybe and wish for that and long for that but i don't i'm i'll just let the shepherd of my soul (laughs) determine when i
0: yeah you don't want the pain but you the presence yeah whether it is um you know after confessing sin right and and the expression of like your your guilt and and after that you feel the great presence of God, yet I don't want to keep on sinning, right. um, uh, and, and I don't want to go through suffering, but in that you feel the presence of God, and, and you feel his right. care for you in special ways. And
1: That's what heaven's going to be. Heaven's going to be that beauty without the... We're just, we're just so messed up. We're just so messed up. And, you know, when we get to heaven, we won't be the kind of people that once God blesses them we feel cocky and we're you know that mm-hmm. won't be the it'll we'll just be so free in heaven it'll be so beautiful and there won't be that tension hmm.
0: I so appreciate and thank you for being willing to step into I mean it'd be much easier to write a health and wealth gospel sort of, <laughs> message <laughs> and plenty of that
1: and a message there's prosperity
0: and and instead choosing you know the the path of writing about something difficult and hard mm-hmm. yet part of all of our human experience and, um, to write about it, to live it. Uh, I thank you so much for even being willing to share uh, a little bit of your story. Um, where can people find the book or, um, find you if they're yeah, interested? Yes, it's, it's,
1: um, I think they're pretty much sold out except for the ones that we scarfed up. So, um, you can, uh, get it at www.encompass crisis response forward slash 30 days okay yeah
0: good and any any place out there in the interwebs people can find you if they're interested
1: um, yeah actually at that same website okay. uh, encompass crisis dot org there's a contact us I would I would welcome connection connecting awesome. with people and that book is available we're selling it in um, for small groups okay so
0: great Well, thank you so much for uh, spending some time and and talking to us about your life and your story.
1: Thank you, Drew. Wonderful.
0: Thanks also to all of you for listening to the Grace Story podcast. Music was written and produced by Dr. Wally Brath, Assistant Professor of Worship Arts at Grace College. And thanks to our co-producers, Andrew Palladino and Rick Neer. And if you can do us a huge favor and share, rate, and comment on this podcast wherever you retrieved it from, we'd be so grateful. Until next time... Live your best grace story
1: today.